Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding your families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Welcome back to episode nine. Come on, Christine, get your act together of Modern Ancestral Mamas. This is what happens. I'm so sorry, guys. I was looking at my phone in the moment that we started recording. So unprofessional of me. Um, But anyway, (laughs) Corey was talking about her mom texting her and I looked down at my phone and my mom has also texted me and she... (laughs) and I got distracted. Anyway, um, we are so glad to be back. And today we are finally covering the very requested topic of budgeting. We have gotten so many requests from you guys asking us to discuss budgeting. And Corey and I have put it off for a while because this is quite a daunting topic, to be honest. And we wanted to make sure to do it well. So this is why we sort of just waited. And basically what we've decided we're going to do is we're going to have various topics. um, Sorry, we're going to have various episodes that are going to talk about budgeting. And so this is just the first episode of three or four that that are going to cover the subject of budgeting. And today we're not going to dive into actual numbers. So we're not going to talk about specific costs or price of things. We're, this is going to be more of an overarching theoretical episode on budgeting. And yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. What, what else, what else did we want to say about budgeting, Corey? I mean, hopefully we have a whole episode's worth of things This is to true, say. yeah. And then, no, there's, a, there's a whole episode, so the, and that's it. Thanks a lot for listening. <laughs> yes, we got two minutes. Um, yeah, I, so many, so many people have asked us to talk about this. And like you said, like, I have been really kind of intimidated by it, um, you know, feeling like, yeah. oh, gosh, like, I don't know, for some reason, this just feels way more intimidating than any of our other topics. And it's probably just because, you know, our other topics, you and I feel pretty solid about that we know what we're talking about. And um, budgeting, maybe, I definitely, you know, we definitely have done a lot of research to be able to get, to be able to record tonight. So um, I really hope that this episode is helpful and kind of... um, yeah, is that it's helpful to to whoever's listening, and maybe encouraging and um, inspiring. Yes, I, I don't know. Inspiring and applicable. applicable, applicable to your everyday life. Yeah. Okay, so if you are new to Modern Ancestral Mamas, thank you so much for listening. Um, we begin every episode with a question that is related to the topic of what um, the episode is about. So today, since we're talking about budgeting. We're going to jump right in, and I'm going to ask Christine, um, do you have a specific food budget for your family? How do you handle this? Um, Yeah, go. 
Yes. Okay. So kind of had to think about that one because it's a yes and no answer. So do we have hard numbers, hard and fast numbers that we stick to every month when it comes to budgeting for food? Not necessarily. Um, but are we tracking how much we spend on food? Yes. Um, so we are, my, we're going to talk about this later in the episode, but my husband is, you know, major in economics, uh, works with finance and a few other things. So numbers and finance are his forte, not mine. Uh, and I'm so <laughs> blessed that I have a second half who manages all of that for our family. And I, I really, truly am incredibly grateful for him for doing that. And so he has Excel spreadsheets and apps and, <laughs> you know, things like that, that track expenses. Um, and however, that being said, I am the one that is in charge of spending those, you know, those dollars when it comes to food and health and things like that. So, you know, I try to stay within a certain amount, um, but we're going to talk about this later on in the episode, but that is also fluid because there are very large purchases that happen throughout the year. For example, purchasing half a cow or half a pig or a whole cow, you know, things like that, in which a certain monthly amount, it, do, it obviously doesn't fit within that certain monthly, monthly amount. Um, so hopefully that answered the question. Do Corey, you know, now it's your turn. Oh, oh wait a yeah, second. No, do ahead. you know um do you know what apps and stuff Juan uses or is it just mostly he's like using Excel spreadsheets and Yeah, so he definitely has Excel spreadsheets that he's created himself, but then uh he also uses Mint. Okay, yeah. Um we used Mint for a little while. But so like you're then it automatically gets sorted in mint like mint works where where you're it's a it's connected to your bank account or your credit card or whatever and then it automatically sorts the purchases right yes yeah yeah, yeah. and it so then are a, you go ahead no go ahead i was just gonna say it used to be a pretty crappy app and they've recently <laughs> it, i mean it did it wasn't that great um but maybe i used it when it over, wasn't that over great. the years <laughs> yeah over the years it's improved and now it's much more detailed in the way it sorts um, your expenses and things like that. Okay. Um, so then are you and him, you know, chatting about every month, like saying, okay, like we're, you know, we're pretty much at the end. Or are, you, or are you both like on the same app and you're looking at it going, okay, I've got, you know, roughly like $200 left in my, in my rough budget. Right. Um, also, yes and no. Uh, so <laughs> this is not something that we are sitting down and discussing monthly. Uh, it's something that we have tried to do, but we just don't have time to do or we yeah. don't make, I should say we don't make time for it. And we don't really do it unless there's been two or three months of like, overspending and then it's like okay wait a second let's go back and talk about this <laughs> why have there been you know why has there been a few months of overspending and nine times out of ten it's usually not food related it's yeah I don't know other things um and then 
Oh, you asked if, if it tracked, uh, like if both of us could. So mine is attached to like my account and I can't remember if he can see it or not. Actually, I think he can. I think, yeah. I mean, you, you could probably like opt to be able to yeah. do it together or not. Right. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm guessing. I don't use more the app. F- yeah. <laughs> it's more for me because this is something that's a challenge for me. I, I struggle with this uh, personally with just like managing finances and stuff. Yeah, um, me too. So. Honestly, like food is hard for me. Like I could – I can – generally not go spend a lot of money on most things, but like books and slash school supplies, like stuff for this kid's homeschooling and food. I'm like, I just need to spend everything. I need to buy all the things, have all the things. And then it's it's really interesting because I attach so much value to nutrient density and the type of foods that we buy. I almost, have a blind eye to like sticker prices and you know, I'm, I I will see that something costs, I don't know, X, Y, Z amount. And it's just like, well, it's so good for my body. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just going to pay it. I mean, in Chicago, I know we said we were going to talk about numbers, but in Chicago, I think our raw butter was like $15 a pint at the height of the season when it's like the most nutrient dense. And oh, my God. Yeah. Did you and, buy that? Oh, are you kidding me? Of course I did. It was like the most beautiful yellow butter from the cows in the summertime eating the the, the shoots of grass that are like the baby shoots of grass that are just yeah. coming up. That is literally it's only like a couple of weeks. It is. Yes. It's yeah. it's like gold. And so, of course, I would buy it. And, and then butter prices drop in the winter. Goes down to like $11, maybe $10 a pint. Um, for raw butter when I lived in Chicago, but, uh, yeah, it's like those kinds of things where I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't blink. I wouldn't bat an eye. Yes. I'm going to buy this butter because <laughs> it's so good for my body. Mm. It definitely is good for your body. <laughs> I, I don't really it. like raw butter though. At least I haven't had it. I only like butter. butter. I only like butter if it's salted and this butter was never salted. So I would usually just like add it to foods and then it would taste good. Oh, okay. Side note, we had some um, family members in town and they, my kids are used to just getting pats of butter as snack while they're waiting for food to get ready to to be ready to, yeah, you know, to be served, whatever. And this, the little cousin, she's, I don't know, a few months younger than Daniel. I'm serving her butter and I don't think that she's ever had it like this before. And so she was just like, more, more, more. Like she just wanted more and more and more butter. And it was so cute. I was like, yeah, give me the butter. (laughs) Wow. But we're so off topic. Corey. Okay. So now it's your turn. Can you share with us? Does your family have a specific budget for food? And can you tell us a little bit about how you manage that? Um, okay. Uh, yes and no, right? <laughs> same same answer. Um, I – we don't have 
specific, you know, okay. So there's a, there's a style of budgeting called the Dave, Dave Ramsey um, envelope method. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what this is, but if you don't, the idea is that you have, I mean, he created this before internet was really a thing. I mean, not that it wasn't a thing, but you know, people didn't use it as much and you weren't really buying things online. So the idea originally was that you would have every month you would go take out your amount from the bank for your month, your whole budget for everything. And you would put in cash in each individual envelope. And so then, um, you know, your food budget for the month was what was in that envelope and you could not spend any more because you literally were only using cash and whenever that cash was gone, it was gone, done. Um, so no, in that regard, we don't have a budget. Um, we generally have a, you know, this is how much we're trying to stay within for the month. Um, but again, you know, I buy, um, I buy grain in bulk. We buy meat in bulk. Um, I, if I go to the store and there is a whole bunch of, yeah, there's a whole bunch of turkeys, organic turkeys for sale. Cause this is what happened to me a couple months ago. There's a, you know, ton of organic turkeys for sale. And I bought every single one of them because the sale was so good. Um, <laughs> so I want to be able to do that. Um, and so then the very strict budget hard line is not um, something that we do. So I think that answers that question. Yeah. So throughout this episode, we sort of separated it into different topics. And we're going to start off by talking about we to budget or not. And then we're going to talk about prioritizing nutrient density. Then we're going to talk about value versus price. Is real food more expensive? We're going to touch on that a little bit. And then we're going to get to the, the practical application at the end. So like tips for saving money. Um, so if you are here just for the practical application, you can just fast forward to the end. Um, <laughs> Don't do but that. If <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'm kidding. Um, but if you want to hear you know, the meat and potatoes of the episode, the middle part of it, then keep listening. So Corey, why don't we start with whether to budget or not? Yeah. Okay. So Christine mentioned her husband's in finance. My husband is a financial advisor. Um, so, <laughs> and Christine and I have been saying and working on this episode for months at this point. And so it has been kind of a constant conversation with our husbands, um, trying to figure out, you know, how we, how we do this show, how we do this episode. Um, so a lot of what we're going to talk about is kind of gleaned from their, uh, expertise on, um, personal finance on finance in general. Um, okay. So I asked my husband since he's a, he's a personal, um, financial advice. Like he works with people, you know, trying to retire or like 
you know, how to live on their retirement, that kind of thing. And um, in general, his advice about budgeting is that he doesn't like them. <laughs> so, okay, let me, let me. No, which, which I thought was so interesting, actually. And, you know, my husband agreed too. Did um, he? When we, yeah, when we went and had this conversation and when we were, you know, discussing it and looking at um, the outline and stuff, he was like, oh yeah, I totally agree with him. Okay. So, but yeah, explain to us why. Okay. So, so budgets are something that were created for businesses, right? Um, and it was then kind of reverse engineered to try and work for um, uh, families or, you know, on a personal level, level, excuse me, rather than a business level. And for businesses, it makes sense. It works for um, personal finance for families. It is much harder and it becomes like for, for a few amount of people who have this sort of, the sort of personality that it would work for um, budgets can be great. You know, strict budgets can be great. However, for most people, it's nearly impossible to stick to a strict budget. Um, you know, you go out, let's just say you're, you're out, um, you're out longer than you um, anticipated, and you're out of money in your eating out budget, but you're out, you know, an hour away from your home, and it's 6.30, but you, you just don't eat. Like, what's your plan there? You're just going to eat, right? You're going to go get dinner and you're going to say, okay, this is okay. You know, it'll be fine. So um, it becomes a point of stress for people if you've got this like hard line budget and um, because it's very difficult to stick to. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have guidelines, you know, um, but hard line yeah. budgeting is really difficult. Yeah. So it, it sounds like, I guess it's hard to make it work for real life. Right. The, the like strict. Yeah. Um, cause it doesn't and, allow for flexibility. Right. 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 But that being said, you know, limits and guidelines are important and helpful to know where you want to spend a little bit more, where you want to spend less. And also because then you can see like where you get more value for certain products or certain, in this case, food. So for example, you're going to have more value for your money purchasing animal protein versus buying like refined carbohydrates, just for example. Right. Um, and then another another aspect to like limits and guidelines when it comes to setting budgets is just not always buying the cream of the, the crop. So like knowing that you can splurge a little bit more on some things, but then that means that in other aspects of your lifestyle or your budget, you might have to take some cuts. Um, but actually wait, before, before we continue with this, Ryan made a really good point about like discussing this with your spouse. Do you want to, yeah. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah. So um, 
one of the one of the conversations that we've had about this is that it is really important for people for for couples for spouses to be more to be on the same page right um and i know we've talked about this before we've talked about um being respectful of your partner and never you know bulldozing your way through um a conversation or or you know a point of contention um because there you have to have a mutual respect and um even if your partner is not 100% on board with what you're doing. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? Like you have to eat. This is not a it's not an option, right? Like you can't opt out of eating. Um and if you're listening to this show, you probably at least have some sort of, you know, baseline understanding of food is what we're eating is important. Um however, your spouse might not be there. Okay, so um, if you are having a food budget conversation with, if you go to your husband or, or your wife, whatever, your spouse, and you say, um, and, and you both are ready to talk about a food budget, I would suggest taking a larger picture view of it. So start with, you know, um, start with your priorities, map out your money priorities with your spouse, your spouse. So, and, and that goes from the top down, you know, start with, okay, you know, here's our, um, here's what we absolutely have to pay for. Right. And start with your, uh, things like an emergency fund, um, having enough money to pay for your mortgage or your rent, um, and then go down and start going down the list in order of priority. And if you get to the point where you are, where there's a disagreement, um, stop. Okay. And here is, here's the, here's the part that may be a little hard to understand. If you get to a point in your, in your discussion, like say you get to the point where you're talking about food and you want to spend more on food, but your husband wants to spend more on, um, uh, entertainment. Okay. So my husband loves board games, right? So he goes, no, you know what, Corey, I know you want to spend this much on, on food, but I really think that it's important that we spend money on board games because we need to be able to bond as a family and have fun as a family. And, you know, that's more important to me. Um, so at that point we don't move forward. We don't move forward with anything until we have both come to an agreement. And that gives us both a chance to argue our case respectfully. Um, it gives us both a chance to get into each other's shoes and understand each what the other person feels like they need. Um, it gives, you know, it gives you the opportunity to work together as a partnership rather than one person steamrolling or um, bullying the other into what they think is the best thing to do. Uh, so it sounds like you kind of basically have to come to a compromise or at least, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. 
I think, I think there is the, the trickiest part. The tricky part though, is that like, say this takes you a month to work through, right? Like you're still having to buy food in between that at that, in that month. Um, but I guess maybe you, you start on, you, you're not spending more than you already were. Um, anyway, I think being really respectful and open and honest and um, giving each other the benefit of the doubt or um, trying to get into their shoes and like understand where they're coming from is really important and um, going to be helpful in the long run of a relationship, not just your, your food or your, your money. Um, Cause you, nobody's, you shouldn't be manipulative of it, right? Like you can't be pulling out this, well, our children are going to get cancer if we buy conventional tomatoes. Um, you don't, I mean, maybe, but <laughs> not, no, we can't do that. You yeah. can't, you, it's just, yeah. There's so many other factors that go into something like that. So yeah. Right. I also liked how he mentioned um, an annual food budget. Do you want to touch on that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, an annual food budget would be basically you take, you know, whatever your monthly is at um, multiply it by 12. So then you have, you start with an annual budget. So then um, if you have big purchases like half a cow or, um, you know, a year's supply of butter, I don't know. Yeah. Olive oil or something. Olive oil or you, you guys do salmon, right? Like you buy a bunch of salmon. Yeah, Um, you do. Yeah. So like, that's not going to come from your monthly budget because that would blow your monthly budget. I mean, this half a cow was probably like a month and a half's worth of food mm-hmm. budget wise. Um, but it'll last us a whole year, if not a little bit longer than that. So then it's not fair to take it from, you know, the one month's budget. Like I can't say, Oh, this is July's budget. And well, now we can't buy any more food in July cause we bought half a cow. So if you're, if you start off with a, a annual budget and then you can break it down into for and then you then you take your larger purchases out of that then you can break it down into your monthly budgets from there yeah so we actually touched a little bit on this in our an earlier episode in season 1 when we interviewed Lisa from the holistic homemaker and one thing that she talked about was that there were some weeks or months where her family didn't spend more than let's say $50 on groceries. And then there were others where they were spent dropping, you know, hundreds of dollars. And this was just because she had found an opportunity to purchase something in bulk and had decided that she was going to bulk buy. Um, I, I think in her case, it was actually olive oil. Um, so she was buying like three years worth of olive oil or something like that. <laughs> or yeah. And they, I think they also had an absurd amount of canned fish or I don't remember exactly, but this idea of 
yeah, what, what we're trying to uh, say here is that when you look at it annually versus monthly, it gives you the opportunity to purchase these large ticket items that will then last you longer throughout the year and lower your cost monthly. Right. And so that actually kind of rolls into prioritizing nutrient density. And this is a big theme in our podcast episodes a lot. We talk about the importance of prioritizing nutrient density. And why do we talk about this? Well, we talk about this for several reasons. The first would be, this is based on the work of Dr. Weston A. Price and what he found when he traveled the world and was studying the native indigenous cultures in comparison to the modern industrialized cultures and how their health, the health of the individuals declined when they left their native tribes and moved into the cities and their health declined because their food choices were poorer. So they were consuming, he called them the displacing foods of modern commerce. And so this would be canned foods and refined flours and sugars and things like that. And so essentially the reason why we prioritize nutrient density is because if we want to have good health, then what we consume and what we put into our body actually matters. And both Corey and I know that that is not the whole picture that, you know, there's also environmental toxins and there's, I mean, mean, yeah, there's stress and and like, yeah, exercise and and EMFs. And I mean, the list could go on and on and on, but (laughs) food is a really big piece of it. And so what does that mean financially? Well, that means that we're going to try and get the most bang for our buck when it comes to nutrient density. So we're going to use our dollars to spend money on the foods that are going to serve our body the most. And for some people, this this might sound maybe obvious, but things like choosing to buy, let's say, like animal proteins over things like refined carbohydrates. So saying that we're going to spend more of our budget on eggs, raw milk, meat, uh, things like that versus granolas, cereals, um, breads, pastas, things like that. While the pastas and the breads are cheaper, they are definitely cheaper. They are not going to fill you up. They're not going to keep you satiated for as long. They're not going to give your body the proper nutrition that it needs. And yes, you might be spending less money in the short term, but in the long term, it's possible that it could eventually affect your health down the road. So this is why we talk so much about prioritizing nutrient density. So if we're, if we're discussing that, one, one aspect to approach this is to avoid things like the expensive cuts, for example, steaks or, um, yeah. So like all of the steak cuts are so expensive or even cuts where the bone is out of the meat. Uh, nowadays, you know, (laughs) nowadays, most butchers, most people will not eat meat with a bone in it. Um, unfortunately they don't know that the bone in the meat, not only 
offers affords like so much flavor into the meat, but then you can use those bones for broth. Um, so trying to get the more affordable cuts, which would be things like bone in meats, bones, the fat, the organ meats. I know organ meats are a little bit harder for people to swallow, pun intended. <laughs> um, but in many aspects, in, in, in uh, many parts of the United States, these farmers are giving them away. If you just ask them for it, th- no one wants these cuts. And if you learn how to cook with them, which we have so many resources on different podcast episodes where we talk about you know, specific people or books that you can use, but really organ meats can be so cheap and they are some of the most nutrient dense foods that you can feed your body. So and when then we another got, part, sorry. Yeah, no, go for, for a it. Second. We got this half a cow delivered recently from a local farmer and I specifically asked for the tongue and um, he shows up at, at our house to deliver. It's just like this one man band farmer, right? So he shows up at our house and he's like, oh, I got your half a cow in the back of my pickup truck. So, <laughs> so we're helping him unload all of this meat into our freezer. And I'm like, were you able to get the tongue and the um, oxtail and the, and the liver and everything? And he's like, well, I got, I was able to get you the oxtail. I was, which, you know, most people don't want. So, you know, you've got it. I got it for you. Um, and I was able to get you the liver and the kidney. Um, and he's like, I couldn't get the tongue. I was like, what? They wouldn't, they didn't give me the tongue. He's like, no, no, no. Sorry. I got you the tongue, but it's still in the head. And he like pulls this trash bag out of the back of his car. And he's like, here's the head. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> thank you. Corey. We, I mean, we've mentioned this person so many times, but that is a Janine phone call. You're just going oh, no, to, Oh no, I already, I already did. Oh, I already good, called good. her. Yes. I was like, yeah. I don't know what yeah. to do. And she's like, Oh, you might actually have more than just the tongue in there. <laughs> For sure, for sure she got excited about that. Yeah, she did. That's so funny. I should, I'm going to put in here in the notes to make sure that we obviously reference her. Um, but, oh, right. Okay, so part of this idea of focusing on nutrient density means a lot of times we're going to have to get creative. So that means we're working outside of the conventional food system it means you might not be purchasing all of your food from the grocery store. You might be doing things like starting food buying clubs or joining all food buying clubs that already exist or doing things like bartering or trading. So I know a lot of people that have traded their services, for example, mucking stalls or working in the field or or milking um, a cow one day a week or Yes, milking a cow one day a week or helping at the farmer's market in exchange for the produce or the products that the farmer is selling. So actually like working for your food. And then we, you know, we've talked about this many times before, but buying in bulk. Anytime you have the opportunity to purchase in bulk, it's going to be much more cost effective than, um, yeah, just buying that one box of, I don't know. Or that one bag of einkorn flour, for example, which is probably like $10 at Whole Foods. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, 
There are grain clubs too. Like I'm, I joined a grain club that's um, called uh, Breadbeckers, and they do. I think it's like quarterly drops. So it's like Azure Standard where they have one drop, except that it's quarterly. It's not monthly, um, and their prices are really good for. But their whole well, I don't know if they sell flour or not. I I buy whole grains from them, and I I grind my own grains. But um, they have lots of different what options. You, what did you say they were called again? Bread, Bread beckers. Mm-hmm. Like be- like begging or beckers? No, be- beckers. B e c k e r s or b e. Oh. I think it's c k. Beck beckers. Oh. Um. The and the it's woman a green who. Club? Yeah. A green so it, club? Oh, interesting. I've never heard of this before. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about it either until we moved down here. And the my co chapter leader is the um you know she's the coordinator or whatever they're called. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. So uh, cool. okay. So here is a really kind of weird thing about um food prices, right? Like if you're going to the grocery store, just a, just a regular grocery store, not something fancy, you know, um, and you walk in there as somebody with a very low budget, you're drawn to the things that are least expensive, but also, um, higher calorie, right? Cause you need the energy. And a lot of times, those things are going to be super processed because the, you know, the things that are super processed have higher calories. Um, and and, energy. Right. Right. And it, and, and it will give you that, like you'll get that and you'll feel, you know, Oh, I got the energy, but then in an hour you're going to need some more food. Um, and then the, (laughs) the other tricky part is that those foods are also, um, engineered to make you eat more of them you know, you're not, you're not able to listen to the cues from your body because your body's being overridden by the chemicals in these foods. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say those cues are being suppressed by these chemicals. Yeah. Right. Um, so what we need to be doing is recognizing that these foods you know, created in um, giant factories and labs, engineered, are um, almost tricking us out of our money. But I'm not necessarily going to pull out, you know, a tinfoil hat for this, but it's um, maybe like you could, you could totally fall down that rabbit hole potentially, but um, it's, easy i mean easier it's it's just as likely that it's not a tinfoil hat thing and it's just that these companies are prioritizing their bottom line that is they're they have no it's almost like they're neutral right like they are not interested in your health at all it's not that they're trying to make you sick it's just that they don't care they just want to make money And if you start looking at those companies, like they don't care about the environment, they don't care about your health, they don't care about anything, um, 
They don't care about the health of their employees, probably. Like, they don't care about anything except making money. Um, so when you, when you can recognize that and go, everything that they're doing is for them to make money, um, has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with the environment, has nothing to do with the community. Um, we, it, you can almost help, you know, like can help you reframe your view of those things and, um, recognize that maybe that's not what you want to give your money to. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I mean that that's exactly one of the conversations that I had with my husband about, and we, we, we brought this up too in the food family values episode, we talked about value versus price and this idea of how the value remains long after the price is forgotten. And so when you're thinking about your food choices, you don't want to just think about where your paycheck is going this week, but about what your baseline is going to be for your physical and mental health for like the next 50 years of your life. And do you want to spend more money with your farmer and less with your doctor? Or do you want to spend more money with your doctor and less with, you know, your farmer? And we can't guarantee, like, it's not a guarantee that if you eat really well, that you'll never get sick or that you won't get cancer or, you know, because like we just said, there are so many other factors Right. But it is a big uh, aspect. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this idea of the value of what you're buying versus the price of what you're buying is that, so the reason why real food is more expensive is because the inputs are more expensive to produce it. So there's more labor, there's more... Um, it's more expensive to feed these animals their organic feed because it's higher quality. Um, it's yeah, not or as buy scalable. The organic produce is more expensive too because they're not able to just spray on things oh, to kill sure. the totally. bugs or whatever. They have to actually be on top of it. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's... it's not as scalable obviously as the industrialized uh, counterpart. So yes, the inputs are more expensive. And actually one of the things that Juan was arguing was we were having this conversation about there's also almost a status associated with real food versus conventional food. So we are in a point in society right now where real food is seen as an elitist product and to be able to purchase organic and to be able to purchase, you know, food from regenerative farmers, this is much, it's, it's more expensive and it's seen as like a status symbol versus conventional food. And so that dictates the price a little bit in of itself. I mean, I, I am almost finished with a book right now on raw milk and just using raw milk as an example farmers will get $2 a gallon for their pasteurized milk, but they know that they can sell their raw milk for $10 a gallon. So a lot of farmers want to make the switch to selling raw milk simply because they know that they can 
increase their profits. And so there is this, you know, real food costs more. But on the flip side of that, what is the value behind it? Well, the value is the the impact you're having on the environment long-term, the impact you're having on your health long-term, the impact you're having on societies and communities, the, you know, with, by supporting local economies. But none of this is reflected in the price of what you're actually buying. Um, and the, these big companies that are producing, mass producing these cheap foods, they're not factoring that into their price. So let, I'm just going to use, uh, I'm trying to think of, of an example. Let's just say like a cereal company. The, a cereal company is not factoring into the fact is not factoring into their price that they are mo- using monocropped wheat and monocropped soy and sugar to produce their cereal, and that is completely depleting the land of its um, of its nutrients, of its biodiversity. Obviously, you know, eliminating the topsoil. They are then feeding, this product is going in the grocery store, people are purchasing it, it's affecting their health, it's affecting their metabolic health, their blood sugar, it's affecting, you know, their their gut microbiome. None of this is factored into the price of that cheap cereal. None of that. Um, And so that's why we have to think about, well, what do we value And if you want to think about that some more, you can go back to the food family value episode. You can reference that. But it's so important to talk about that in the budgeting episode as well because it is a huge piece of budgeting. It's a huge part of deciding what you're going to budget when it comes to food and other aspects. Um, Yeah. Okay. That was a really long tangent. Okay. So... Here is a um, thought on that, though. Like it, I agree with you, obviously. Um, however, it, it doesn't matter. This is it doesn't matter how religious you are about your food. You still have to be realistic about your means, right? So this goes back to your, um, you know, top down budgeting aspects or, or plan. Um, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money, you know, and I do actually think you're completely right on the, um, the idea that real food is, is a privilege. Um, it doesn't have to be, it didn't used to be, um, but it is, and it is now currently in the, in the society and state that we're in. Um, I, I want so badly, so badly for that not to be the case. Because, I mean, I know that you have a heart for this. I have a heart for this. Like, we just want people to feel good. We want people to be healthy. We want people to be able to eat well and feed their families um, in a way that's serving their bodies. And so much of what, um, you know, lower income families are being given is not serving them well. We are going to get to this, 
topic actually on another episode, but I think it's important to uh, recognize that there is a bit of um, if like if you're in this situation, say you're a single mom, you have a job and a half, your kids are in um, school full time and and at a daycare full time, and you're um, you know just really trying to feed them well. I do think it can be done. Um, I just think that that you're gonna have to be a little bit more creative about it. Um, or if you're, you know, a stay-at-home mom, and but and you're on one, in, you're on one income, um, but you have like a, you know, three children under five or something. <laughs> um, so you have very little extra time. There are ways to get creative about these things. There are ways to work outside the system, right? Like, like we said with um, helping farmers and stuff, or saying to your to your neighbor, maybe, hey, you know, I'll tend your garden because you you know work full time, um, but I want to split the the yield. Um, anyway, I just really want to encourage people that like get creative, like think outside of the box. If you see value in the food, you'll figure out how to make it work. Yeah. This idea of real food being more expensive, I think is such a multi-layered conversation because of, ironically, because of the industrial revolution and the modern world that we live in. Because there's this idea that mass production is more scalable and therefore cheaper. And so we can feed more people. And we're, you're kind of like tricked into thinking that in the long term, this is better. Or maybe, you know, like this, this is the way to go because this will feed more people. But what's not even taken into account is... The fact that the food, because the food is so cheap, it's only reflecting the price like I, like I was saying before. And it's not reflecting all of the other issues associated with it. And, and then also, it's, it has become a system. It is truly a monstrous beast in our society right now. This, you know, this food production. It is, it's feeding the schools, it's feeding the jails, it's feeding, you know, people on WIC. And, and in order to extract ourselves from that, or to stop it, you have to unravel the entire system, which is not really possible. So what is possible is what we do individually in our own homes. And so that's why it starts with us. And it sounds so old fashioned to say it, but it starts with, it starts in your kitchen. It starts Mm -hmm. with learning how to cook. It starts with learning some of these old school ways of preserving food, fermenting, canning. Um, It starts with bread. Yeah. Thank you. Bread making, um, learning how to make as much as you can from scratch because ultimately 
making it yourself is nine times out of 10 more cost effective than purchasing it from a grocery store. And I think this is almost where, this is where the revolution begins. It begins in your own home and it begins by educating your kids and teaching them how to do this so that when they are older, they can be self-sustainable and do it themselves. Um, so this is why we wanted to also talk about like the practical application and tips for saving money. Okay. So in general, our society, I think Western societies in general, um, spends a lot like capital L O T of money on totally unnecessary things. Okay. (laughs) Um, in general, you know, cable is not necessarily, I mean, cable is not necessary, excuse me. And in that regard, a television is not necessary. Um, (laughs) uh, depending on where you live, a car may not be necessary. Um, more than probably two pairs of shoes are not necessary. Um, so many things, like just so many. Even our houses are like, I think I read somewhere recently that our houses are, I don't know, some ridiculously four or 5% bigger than they were just like 60 years ago. Like they're, our houses are huge. Um, unless you live in a, you know, post-war house or something. Um, even so they're still big. Like we don't live in a one room cabin. Um, anyway. Okay. So I wanted to talk for a second about (laughs) when, when Ryan and I first got married, we had like no money, like literally we were living off of my, um, savings from, um, like I, I'm, I saved a bunch of money in high school and college. Whenever I worked, I saved a bunch of money. And, um, so by the time we got married, we had some, some wedding gift money and then like this money that I had saved up and, and we were both just really not making a lot of money at all. We're barely, barely making our rent every month. And, but I did see value in food, even at that point. I mean, I wasn't Weston A pricing at that point. I was just kind of trying to be healthier, you know, like it was like, what I would say is like one step up from the standard American diet. Um, like maybe half a step really, but, <laughs> uh, I saw the, I saw the value in food. So I was spending more money on food and, um, there are so many things that we didn't go like we did not have. So, okay. So here's a few, a few examples, (laughs) um, of things that we skipped. We did not have a television. Um, when we first got married, somebody ended up giving us a television. Um, but we didn't have like cable or anything. We, we were borrowing somebody's Netflix login. Um, we had none of our furniture cost. It was all hand-me-downs or cost us like less than a hundred dollars. I literally pulled some chairs out of a dumpster a couple times. Um, 
I mean, okay, so even now, even now, all of our furniture is under probably 500 Like, the most expensive thing was probably $500. Um, and that was just because it was, like, a whole dining room set. Um, okay, we had hand-me-down and thrifted clothes, uh, even for our um, our children. Like, we didn't buy brand-new baby clothes. We got everything secondhand. Um, we didn't have... Uh, a crib. We didn't have, um, I did buy a changing table, but again, it was like free, like Craigslist or whatever. Um, we didn't have any pets. Pets are huge money sucks. Not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a pet. I'm just saying like, that's a lot of money that you're going to be spending. Um, yep. I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay. So we didn't have, we didn't get Ryan would get his haircut. I got my haircut once a year. Um, Ryan had a, you know, Ryan's a dude, so he had to have his hair shorter. But um, <laughs> but actually, our friend would cut his hair, and he would pay her, like, 20 bucks or something. So it was, like, much less. And then, um, oh, he had holes in his shoes, and he wore these shoes so much that he had holes in them. Here is Here's the... A bigger one. Okay. We had a PT cruiser that my parents gave us. It was a PT cruiser convertible. And um, there was a hole in the roof because somebody uh, slit the roof open to steal something out of it. Uh, when we lived in an apartment complex, they like cut the roof of our of our convertible open. And I... I went out there and I literally sewed the roof back together and um, because it's fabric. So you can like, Oh yeah. It's a convertible. Um, And then I like, so I sewed it back together and I put this um, fabric like sealing it's for sailboats. So I put this tape on it to try and seal it, but it leaked like crazy. Um, And so this, this car was like, musty and like would you would get wet if it was raining it was terrible um but we couldn't afford to buy a new car so this was how we got around and the other thing is, is I had we had another car before that that um the the driver's side door wouldn't open it was like a 91 car from 91 the driver's side door would not open and I was not like eight months pregnant and I had to climb over the center console to get out the other side. <laughs> and then the power steering went out on it and the air conditioning didn't work and the windows wouldn't roll down. And <laughs> Oh my goodness, that sounds like a nightmare. And not, maybe not safe. How does that pass state inspection? Um. Um, I, I mean, it's, it passed the state inspection when I got it. It, oh, wouldn't, it definitely would not pass it now or, or then after those things stopped working, but so I mean, we all didn't have this, any money, but like, but yet you were still feeding or you were still eating. Not excellent. Food. We were eating more real food than we were not eating ramen all the time, you know, ramen and peanut butter. I have so many friends that lived off of ramen and peanut butter. So even Right. Even through those 
hard times at the beginning, you understood the importance of, well, it didn't matter so much for, I don't know, us to have the cable or to have brand new clothes, but it mattered for us to have real food. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of the point that you were trying to make that we have to figure out as families, what are we willing to make concessions on so that we can have extra budgeting expenses for what we truly value? Um, but so what are some things that you would make? Like what would be, what do you recommend that you can make on your own versus purchasing to save money? Okay. I think that there are a lot of things that we can make in our own kitchens that'll probably save us money. Um, I think some of them are going to be things like bread, sourdough specifically. Um, I mean, even sourdough is less expensive than a yeasted bread because you're not buying yeast. It's literally salt and water and flour. Um, uh, bone broth, obviously bone broth is basically a free food. You guys, like if you're not, and it's so expensive (laughs) at the grocery store, right? It's, oh, it's unbelievably expensive at the grocery store. And you can, I mean, it, like Christine said earlier, like if you're buying bone in meat, um, you know, chicken thighs or whole chickens, um, or steaks, even, even if you were, buying a steak with a bone in it, save that. Just like throw it in the freezer when you've collected enough bones, then make your bone broth and and make two batches out of, you know, one set of bones. That's the other thing that a lot of butchers can't get rid of or they sell relatively cheaply if you need bones or chicken feet um, or chicken heads. These are all things that are are fairly inexpensive because most people don't want them. Um, and yeah, and they're going to make your broth way more gelatinous and way more nutrient dense. Yeah. So even if it looks a little grisly, definitely still keep it, <laughs> ask for it. Also the, the fat that gets rendered from pretty much any cut of meat. If you get some cut of meat that is like we buy um, briskets. We buy for um, holidays. Usually, we'll do a, a bigger brisket, and you have to trim it for it to to cook it properly. And all of the fat that we trim off of it, I I keep in the freezer. And then when I have a little bit more time, I render it, and that's again basically free tallow, um, or if it's a pork shoulder, it's free lard. Um, and you can do this with pretty much any cut that you've gotten. If you if you make bone broth and that um, the layer of fat that goes on, that settles at the top after you've um, refrigerated it, that is cooking fat. It's, and it's free. Just use it, you know. <laughs> um, all right, what else? Anything that is fermented, pretty much you can make for cheaper than you can buy. Because like if you think about it, uh, manufacturers want things that are sh- are quick, which is why uh, yeast was invented because sourdough takes a long time. 
And so they wanted to invent something that they could make in a couple hours. You know, you can make a loaf of bread in a couple hours uh, with regular yeast. So anything that's fermented, like sourdough, sauerkraut, kimchi, pickles, uh, yogurt, kefir, all of those things, cheese, um, are almost always going to be less expensive to make than they are going to be to buy. Uh, Okay, what else? Popcorn is so much less expensive to make on your own. Um, um, sorry, granola muffins. is muffins. Um, oh yeah, mayonnaise. Granola is so, so expensive. expensive at the store too. Yeah, definitely make your own granola. You can make a massive Plus, batch. There's never granola that is properly prepared. Like never. Yeah. So make yeah. your own. Yeah, and even if you do find one, which, yeah, like you said, it's actually really hard to find. I, I, I can't think of a brand off the top of my head. They have loads of sugar in them, like so much sugar. Yeah. I did. I used to buy sprouted granola from a little tiny place in Pennsylvania when I lived in Maryland, and it was delicious, but it was so expensive. Yeah, there's a... There's a guy at the farmer's market here in Texas, and actually he's in the Weston A. Price Shopping Guide. I think his company is Nate's Raw something. He's in the shopping guide, and he has bags of granola. I can't remember how big they are, but they're $16 a bag. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's amazing granola, and it's not that sweet, and it's properly prepared, and all the ingredients are organic, but it's $16 a bag. I mean, if you make homemade granola, it's probably going to cost you, like, a dollar or two for the whole batch. I mean, depending on what you put in it, you know, if you start adding like a bunch of dried fruit or a bunch of nuts and seeds and stuff, it'll get more expensive. But yeah, we bought 50 pounds of oats and we're still working through it. I bought it, I don't know, like a year and a half ago at this point. Um, and it was like, it's pennies at that point. Uh, okay. What else? Tortillas. I think we said that. Okay. Here's the other thing. I know I've said this on another episode and I know I've said it on my Instagram. If you cannot afford raw milk, which hands down raw milk is expensive. uh, And I know it's different throughout the country. Some places are way more. Some places are less. I will say I pay $6 for a half gallon. So a gallon is $12 and I have to drive to get it, you know, 30 minutes to get it. 30 minutes there and back. So an hour. (laughs) Um, But if you cannot afford raw milk, please stop stressing about it. Like we have to get past the point of perfect and get to the point of a affordable and be doable. Um, Because I think when we can get to that point with our real food high horse, really, um, then we're, we're going to do better as a community. Um, but if you cannot afford raw milk, get the best you can afford and ferment it. Because one of the beautiful things about raw milk is that it has all these enzymes and things in it. Um, and those are destroyed when you pasteurize the milk. However, turning that milk into a kefir or um, a yogurt or some sort of fermented thing actually adds those um, good bugs. Yeah. Yeah. 
back into it, um, making it more digestible, more bioavailable, a better food. Yeah, I like that idea, that recommendation. And there are some conventional milks at the grocery store that are low temp pasteurization, non non-homogenization. It's <laughs> such a hard word for me to say. I know Kelowna. Kelowna is a brand that is low temp pasteurized and they're usually found at most grocery stores. Um, I've never heard of this brand or seen this oh, brand. Really? Oh my gosh. I love Kelowna. Actually, I'm going to give a shout out to homegrown education podcast. They interviewed the founders and the, I think the CEO of Kelowna and it was an incredible episode and yeah, I'm a huge believer in that that company now. Yeah, I don't think that's available on the maybe not on the East Coast at least. Okay. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I just haven't seen it. Um All right. So what are some what were, Yeah, what were some of the most helpful tips that you found when it came to Oh, okay. Them? Every single person that writes about budgeting in food says you absolutely have to meal plan. Amen. We know <laughs> I love meal planning, guys. <laughs> so there you go. If you want to save money, you got to do that. <laughs> it's And beyond just the schedule, it's like very specific. Like tonight we're going to have, like, you know, you sit down at the beginning of the week and you say, okay, Here's what I have in my freezer what that I can, or my pantry, fridge, freezer that I can utilize. Here's what's on sale at the grocery store or what's in season, you know, at my local um, produce farmer. Um, and uh, another thing is figuring out what recipes you can use um, or sorry, what ingredients you can use over multiple recipes. So if you're going to buy cilantro, say, for a for tacos one night, you're still going to have leftover cilantro. And you don't want to be like, okay, I bought cilantro for tacos, and then I bought parsley for this one, and then I bought this fresh herb for this one, and then you're ending up buying so many fresh herbs. No. What you need to do is say, okay, this week is our cilantro week. And, you know, we're going to have cilantro on our tacos on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we're going to have curry with cilantro. And then on Thursday, we're going to have this Thai dish with cilantro. Um, and then on Friday, we're going to have, you know, what else? Something else with cilantro. Um, and you're going to use the whole thing. You're going to use all the stems and you're going to use all the leaves. And then you're not going to waste it. And it's not going to go bad in your fridge. And you're gonna not gonna, um, you're going to not have spent that money in vain. Um, but you do that with pretty much every ingredient that you are putting on your shopping list. Um, you know, I'm buying a bag of potatoes this week. We're going to have potatoes with breakfast and then we're going to also have, uh, mashed potatoes with our meatloaf. And then we're also going to have, um, French fries with our burgers. Yeah. And one of the reason why, one of the reasons why, why meal planning can be such a money saver is because you're not doing any last minute grocery shopping trips because you've forgotten an ingredient or, um, right. And then you end up going in and buying five things. Exactly. 
exactly. Um, yeah, and it also reduces the um, kind of this need for the the food cravings or um, <sighs> never mind. <laughs> no, I, you're, I think you're onto it. Um, when you raise your hand, if you've been to the grocery store and with the intention of only buying one thing and then left after buying 20 things, right? Like it happens to everybody, everybody, especially like if you're going <laughs> to, especially if your grocery store run is quick to target, right? You come out with, Oh, well, I just bought this new eyeliner that was $14 and um, <laughs> I don't even know. Like I needed underwear. So then I also bought underwear. Um, <laughs> when you go like into a store without a plan, you're yeah. going to end up buying all sorts of things that you don't necessarily need and all sorts of things that you're not, that you don't have a plan for using. Um, and when you do that, you end up spending way more than is necessary. Yeah. Um, so when you're, when you have a plan, you are able to reduce the spending on nice to have foods. You know, you're spending on the foods that you need, not on the foods that would be nice to have. You know, you're not walking down the aisle and going, oh, that looks good. No, you're walking down the aisle and saying, okay, that looks good. Maybe I'll work it into the meal plan for next week. But this week we're having this. Yeah. Um, okay. What are some other ways to work on bringing down your, your, month, your, your food budget? Buy foods in season, guys. I mean, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Refrain from buying strawberries and tomatoes in the winter, especially, yeah, like fruit. And out-of-season fruit is so expensive, and it's not the time to buy it. It's not as nutrient-dense, so buy in season. And when it comes to buying in season, if you have access to your farmers, again, purchase in bulk. Um, so this past summer, I purchased, I asked my CSA farmer, can I have all the rest of your blueberries? And I purchased all the rest of her blueberries in bulk, and I froze them, and we actually just finished the blueberries this past week. Um, nice. So we're, we're six months short, but or a little <laughs> bit less than six months. But but yeah, um, anytime you can purchase produce from your farmers in bulk, just ask them. Can I buy a flat of peaches, or can I buy you know potatoes in bulk? Whatever they have. This is a good. Um point though too is that you have a relationship with that farmer and so because you have a relationship with that farmer you're able to go to her and say hey you know I'm a valued customer of yours I've been buying from you I've been in your CSA for two years or whatever um we see each, each other every week can I help you and you help me basically um there's a local farmer here that has a uh clearance shelf everything on that shelf is like a quarter. So I go and just buy whatever's on the shelf and go home and cook it up right away and then freeze it or use it for dinner that day or something. Cause it's really stuff that's, you know, on its way to being chicken food. Um, <laughs> and 
And because of that, I can get, you know, all sorts of extra vegetables and fruit that is just past where they're willing to sell it for super cheap. Like I just get it super cheap. Um, okay. Well, are, grocery stores also have. Yeah, true. Uh, Especially bananas are almost now- always on the like, it's going to be bad soon. Please buy it shelf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I know the grocery stores that I go to have discount shelves and you can, sometimes it's really good stuff. Yeah. Also, um, if you can figure out what your sale schedule is at your grocery store, um, you can usually just ask them, like, go to the meat department and say, hey, what day do you, um, you know, reduce price on all of your meat? Because it's usually one day a week. And if you go on that day, you're probably going to be able to pick up a bunch of meat for at least a lower amount. Um, Okay, let's can we talk for a second about what are some cheap real food items that we can be adding um, to kind of round out? Because the thing is, is that meat is going to be more expensive, right? And um, if if we know that's the case, then adding in some more foods to kind of like round out the meal, yeah. Is going to make it easier on our budgets. Yeah, definitely. I would say going back to the in-season things. So right now it would be things like potatoes, all of the the root vegetables. So, and and even the ones that are not as well known. So things like rutabaga and parsnips and turnips. Um, cabbage cabbage is so cheap and you can do so many things with cabbage and it lasts a really long time yeah yeah it it will stay in your fridge for a long time but yeah you can make obviously sauerkraut with cabbage you can turn it into soups you can grill it like slice it and grill it i mean there's so much you can do with cabbage um obviously potatoes and potatoes will last for a long time beans beans are a great option lentils um oh yeah frozen veggies yeah for sure frozen veggies i want to say really quick about beans i had somebody ask me the other day like they said that they were really intimidated by by beans by dried beans and i just want to say to everybody it's so easy like properly preparing dried beans is so simple you just put it in a bowl with warm water cover it you know with a couple inches of warm water and then sprinkle in some baking soda, let that sit overnight. The next day, I do it in my pressure cooker because it, it um, su- I read somewhere that cook- pressure cooking beans lessens the, help me out, Christine, le- lectins. lectins, thank you. I always forget yeah. that word. Yeah. Um, in the bean, so it makes them more digestible. So anyway. Don't be scared of dried beans. They're so much less expensive than canned beans. And they're really easy to deal with. Okay. What else we got? Bananas are cheap. Bananas freeze really well too. So you can buy, if you find them on sale, you can buy a ton and just freeze them. Yeah. Whole carrots. 
not yes. baby carrots and, and get the five pound bag of whole carrots. Again, that's another food that's going to last in your fridge or, um, yeah, your fridge for a really long time and can go a long way. And utilize um, the whole carrot. Like if you're going to peel it, save those oh, scraps yeah. and use them in bone broth mm-hmm. or let yeah, your kids eat them. Can... That's what my kids do. Yeah. <laughs> Or if you have animals, I'm sure you can let like chickens and stuff or pigs eat it. Yeah, but my kids eat them instead. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have celery. We have rice. Those are really good options. Um, this one's really big. Buy the whole chicken instead of the parts. I just cannot get over how much more cost-effective it is to purchase an entire chicken versus just buying the chicken breast, especially the boneless, skinless chicken breast. Um, Your whole chicken is going to yield you two to three meals versus a boneless, skinless chicken breast not only has no flavor, but is going to be one meal. And like barely, if I was going to do that for my family, I would have to buy two things of those chicken breasts. Oh, yeah. At least. So expensive. Yeah. Crazy expensive. So they are very convenient though. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. I, I Part of me is like they dry out. I don't know how to make them juicy. They have no flavor. Mm. I just, I have, I hate boneless, skinless chicken breast. Um, <laughs> on that note... <laughs> I just mean like if you're going to make something like chicken fingers or something. Oh, I guess. Yeah. It is a lot Corey, easier. What are some of your favorite or yeah. What do you recommend for like resources for budgeting? Wait a minute. I, I think totally there's on this list. I want to oh. say one more thing. Be flexible in your, in your recipes. Like don't, if you're reading a recipe and it calls for something that you didn't buy, A, don't go run to the store and get it, but also look at it and say, you know, okay, this recipe calls for sour cream, um, but I'm not going to buy an extra tub of sour cream. Like I'm just going to use plain yogurt. If you're doing things like that, you're going to be able to uh, stretch your budget a little bit more too. All right. Now resources. Um, All right. So, I know you started out like your real food journey with um, hundred days of real food, right? I yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> so so, I do think she's a fabulous resource. I think she's a great resource. She's not hundred um, percent. She's not at all really um, Weston A. Price. She doesn't provide no, yeah, her grains. Yeah, she's not ancestral at all, but right. she is real food like she 100% believes in making all of your food from scratch eating real food not with ingredients um and for so many people that's it's just a great place to start yeah and she has a really good book um which is called 100 days of real food on a budget um and the this book has I mean, it's a little bit, I think it's like three or four years old at this point. So it's a little bit out of date on the numbers, but she has specific um, numbers and like broken down into grocery stores too. Like this, this food item is cheaper in this grocery store. This food item is cheaper in this grocery store. And 
also tips on um, uh, shopping in bulk, also tips on setting up a kitchen, actually, like what supplies and things you need to have in your kitchen. If you're working on a budget, so like a setting up a budget kitchen, but one that you can actually cook in. Um, anyway, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in that. It's full of recipes too. And there, and she has, I think it's like weekly meal plans where she's broken it down to, um, you know, broken down the prices again, the prices are out of date, but it's still really useful. Um, okay. So that's a hundred days of real food on a budget by Lisa Leak. Um, there is a cooking show on Hulu that is Jamie Oliver's cooking show. It's called um, Keep Keep Cooking and Carry On. And it's one that he started during COVID. So it's fascinating because it's him and his wife like cooking out of their kitchen, like their personal home kitchen. It's like, first of all, it's so cute because him and it, there's like banter between him and his wife. Anyway, um, I love Jamie Oliver. I think his recipes are really down to earth. And again, he's not ancestral. He's definitely above um, the standard American diet because he believes in, in real food and getting people to eat better than, I guess he's British, so than, than their, you know, regular standard British diet. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting about this show specifically is that he takes his recipes from past shows and goes, all right, I know we're on an, everybody's like, you know, on a budget right now or, or, or we can't get to the store. So we're having to change our ingredients. And he's really good at showing the flexibility of cooking and trying to help people understand that, um, you know, just because you don't have this one ingredient doesn't mean the whole dish is going to fall apart or here's what to, to, to substitute in there. Um, all right. What else do we have? Oh, Christine and I, you watched this show, didn't you, on YouTube? I did. It was really entertaining. Um, I watched several episodes and I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, she has a lot. Name. I don't remember her name either. So it's Budget Eats. Delish? Oh, Budget Delish. Delish. Yeah, so Budget Eats is the name of the show. Delish is the like producing company, you know, so there's like Tasty, oh. there's BuzzFeed, oh, whatever. Okay. Delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was confused by that. Yeah, so Sorry. her her YouTube channel is Budget Eats and I believe she's Asian American and so a lot of her recipes are Asian influence and so some of her ingredients are things I've never seen before, uh, produce I've never seen before that you can get at Asian um, grocery stores and things like that. I'm pretty but, sure she's in New York too. So she has a much wider uh, probably yeah availability I, of, you know, yeah. more ethnic yeah. foods. <laughs> totally. But she has really interesting and delicious looking food options. Not all of them are... I would, yeah, I would say not all of them are ancestral at all. But again, no. this goes back to what Corey was saying about making substitutions and being flexible because you can take this general idea of a recipe of hers and find a way 
to make it nutrient dense. And she's got some, she actually like breaks food down into um, numbers and gives you hard, uh, yeah, cost breakdowns of everything and how you can take, for example, I'm just going to use cabbage as an example because I'm pretty sure she did use cabbage in one of her recipes, but use cabbage and how you can stretch that out over like three meals or four meals and all of the different recipes that you can use with that one dollar and 50 cent cabbage that you bought or something like that. Yeah. So. And she uses, she uses organ meats too. She does. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. 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 They're cheap. Um, And I'm pretty sure there's some of them where she bought them and she's like, I've never had this before, but it was a dollar. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, so if you have, I don't know, some time to kill, that's that's a fun YouTube uh, channel to watch. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, I, I think that's, man. Those were, yeah, those were some of the resources that we have. There are so many articles online from different ancestral bloggers. I know Nourished Kitchen has a few articles on traditional foods for every budget. Um, I'm pretty sure Weston A. Price probably has articles for budgeting. They also have a shopping guide and on their shopping guide, they basically break it down into best, better, and good. And in that shopping guide, you can see what food options would fit within your budget. And so maybe you might not be able to afford all of the products in the best category, but you can do, you know, several in the better and in the good category. Yeah. Um, So. Also, I think that if you, again, like don't let perfection be the enemy of good, right? Like, yeah, don't like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. There you go. Thank you. Um, And if you are, you know, if your means do not allow you to buy 100% grass-fed beef every time, like, cool, it's fine. Like, it may not be the very best for the environment, but it will be better for your family um, to just buy, like, to, to, to still be buying beef and not skipping out on the nutrients that you're going to get from the, the meat. Uh, so anyway, I think this is a conversation that is going to be, I mean, obviously we have planned out more episodes on this topic. Um, but I think that this is a conversation that, that the, um, ancestral food community, um, needs to be having more of. And I really hope that this kind of kickstarts that, that this perpetuates that, um, Yeah, and I hope that this was helpful for everybody listening. Yeah, we're really looking forward to the subsequent episodes on this topic. We will yeah, we be have some guests. That'll be fun. We have, yeah, we'll be definitely talking numbers. We will definitely be talking with an individual who has an extremely limited budget, and you know she's going to share her perspective on that. And yeah. Um, please, if you have any comments on this particular episode, either send us a DM or you can leave a review 
on iTunes. You're more than welcome to do that. Um, what else? I don't know. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? I know. I just wanted to see if we happen to have a new review. <laughs> I feel like I forget to do this every once in a while, and I'm so excited when we do. Okay, let's see. Do we have a new one? I feel like the last time I looked, there wasn't a new one, so people need to leave us a new one so we can feel excited. <laughs> this one is fun. All right. Old meets new. I think we read this one already, though, didn't we? We did. Oh, we did. Dang it. All right, guys. We want a new review. <laughs> Someone give us a new review so that we can read it on air. <laughs> um, yeah. I would right, love to hear what right. people think on this topic. So send us a DM. Send me a DM. Yeah, please definitely check out Choosing Family Food Values, the previous episode, and or it was a few episodes back, and then also our interview with Lisa Clark from The Holistic Homemaker, because we also discuss food budgeting. Yeah, that was in that the first episode. season, but I don't remember what number it was. Do you? Yes, that one is episode uh, 17 in season one. It's finding joy in homemaking. Okay, great. Well, guys, thanks for listening again. Have a great night or day or morning or whatever. (laughs) Whenever you happen to be listening. (laughs) All right, see you later. Thanks for listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. You can find Christine on Instagram at NourishTheLittles and online at NourishTheLittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at ForNutrientSake and online at ForNutrientSake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas. The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.